to the Running Wine Mom podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Selinski, aka the Running Wine Mom. Please give a warm welcome to Dr. Quinn Wynn, a renowned pediatrician and a leading advocate for children's health. Dr. Quinn runs a unique practice called Zoomies Pediatrics, where she takes a whole child approach to care, blending evidence-based medicine with compassion and personalized attention. As a pediatrician, Dr. Quinn has dedicated her career to ensuring the well-being and development of, ch- of children from infancy through adolescence. Today, we'll dive into the world of pediatric care, exploring Dr. Quinn's expertise, her practice philosophy, and her commitment to building strong relationships with her patients and their families. Dr. Quinn's practice stands out not only for its emphasis on evidence-based medicine, but also for its use of innovative telehealth services. In a time where remote access to healthcare has been become increasingly important, Dr. Quinn has harnessed the power of technology to provide comprehensive care to her patients, even in the midst of challenging circumstances like the recent pandemic. Throughout this episode, we'll learn more about her unique approach to to preventative care, her advocacy for breastfeeding, and her commitment to inclusivity and support for diverse families. We'll also explore the community outreach program she's involved in, aiming to make a positive impact on child health beyond the walls of her practice. Whether you're a new parent seeking guidance or simply interested in the field of pediatrics, you won't want to miss this insightful conversation. So grab a glass of your favorite wine or lace up those running shoes and let's dive into the world of pediatric care with Dr. Quinn. Welcome, Dr. Quinn. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be talking to you and your listeners. Yes, we are so excited to have you. I know they're going to learn so much, and um, pediatric care is really something that is so prevalent in my life, you know, and all a lot of my friends' lives, too, with just being having young children, and it's... Um... Right, absolutely. So I'm here. I'm open, and ask me questions. Okay. All right, to, so before we start about pediatrics, uh, to start each episode, we have our wine, wine, and win of the week segment. This is where we share our favorite bottle of wine or drink, vent about something that has been bothering us, and celebrate our recent victories. So grab a glass, take a breath, and let's get started. So what is your wine of the week? So wine as in W-H-I-N-E. Oh, sorry, (laughs) W-I-N-E. Sorry. Oh, good. I I, I do usually say, I forgot to say, what is your wine W-I-N-E of the week? (laughs) Well, I have to admit, I'm not much of a wine drinker or alcohol in general. I'm on... Some occasions I do drink Moscato, which is a very sweet wine. My husband makes fun of me for drinking it because he thinks it's not alcohol. <laughs> it's basically a, mostly sugar and a little bit of fermented grape. Yeah. Okay. That's all I can tolerate. Um, I'm obsessed with coconut water. If that can be an episode of what is your favorite water, coconut will be mine. <laughs> yes. And thank you for sharing some with me today. Coconut water is wonderful. It's such a great um, spin on with electrolytes. Mm-hmm. It's such a great way to hydrate. So what is your wine W-H-I-N-E of the week? Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, I like to talk about something that has happened once too many times. And this past week, more than one of my good friends, she's a physician herself. She's pregnant. She's about in her second trimester. She called me partly to vent um, and maybe to ask for a second opinion, she was suffering from a complication and she was so scared she had to take herself to the ER. And they told her, of course, you gotta see your primary obstetrician. And they gave her a less than definitive diagnosis. Of course, she called her OB and said, hey, I really have to see you because this is what happened. I went to the ER over the weekend. And the front staff person said, well, we're all booked out. 
um, it's going to take us about two and a half weeks for you to see your doctor. Oh my gosh. And as a physician and, and being a mom in general, right? You yeah. hear that and you're like, that's not right. Like, I'm concerned I'm bleeding every day. That's just not normal. And then they carelessly told her, you go back to the ER if this happens again. I'm like, it happens again. It's still happening. Right. right? So that is one of the most frustrating things to hear as a mom, as a person, as a woman, and as a physician, when you know care should be better, access should be better. Yes. And in the same breath, I mean, less than two weeks prior, a relative of mine had the same thing happen to her. And fortunately, these people have advocates on their behalf. They have me, they have their spouses who are also physicians, right? So I was so frustrated. I made a list of questions for my relative and I said, these are the questions that you're gonna come in, you're gonna ask, and you're going to call back and said, I need an appointment today or tomorrow. Um, and you need to get this message to the doctor and I, I can't have you at the front desk telling me what I should and should not do. That's my biggest pet peeve. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting because prior to having children, I just assumed like prenatal care was very attentive and you know, you're gonna get all the answers that you want and that's very far from it. Prenatal and postnatal care is for women is just really lacking. And it's scary because especially if it's your first child, like you don't know what is supposed, what's normal and what's not. Um, and to not have that. And if you don't advocate for yourself, then you're just like, you know, not going to be cared for. Right. It's, it's, it's sad to say, but the, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? Mm -hmm. But you would think that as a physician, some of us have no better that we get some sort of professional courtesy. And mm. it's not that we're looking for that because care should be universal right. for all women and all expecting parent. But what's, what's upsetting is that the system that we're in right now, your message doesn't even go anywhere. It's just being stopped right at the front desk. Right. And, and the staff, I'm sure they're hard workers, but they're busy and they get tons of phone calls and they have to deal with everybody wanting an appointment. Um, but when a situation like this where you've already been to the ER, you shouldn't have to be going back right. for someone to tell you you got to go see your doctor, right? <laughs> yeah. And it just not until you go through the process yourself, you realize, what am I supposed to do? And many women, we feel that we shouldn't be difficult. We don't want to seem pushy. Mm -hmm. And if we are, then they're not going to treat us right because we don't have that right bedside manners, I suppose. No, I totally agree with that. And that's another thing that I was going to say is that as females especially we've kind of been like not trained but um we've grown up saying like you know yeah. just fall in line oh, and then you have to like be advocate nice, be yeah, yeah. sociable mm -hmm. but nothing nothing about standing up and saying this doesn't feel right this is hurting me that i want this to stop right um yeah i totally agree <laughs> so what is your win <laughs> of the week <laughs> so on, the, on the more positive yeah. side but so over the, the holiday weekend, I was visiting a newborn baby, and I got to feed a bunch of chickens. Oh, fun. I, I don't know much about livestock. <laughs> I don't know if you have chickens or pets. Nope. No, nothing. Just children. It's <laughs> a lot of work yeah. already. Um, but really, I'm obsessed with the idea of having chickens one day, so I have organic eggs in my backyard. Oh, cool. But where I live, I don't think that's really allowed. I don't think it's zoned for that. Okay. But I, I love the idea of just going out and feed chicken. And... But more than just the, the experience of feeding the chicken itself, is being in someone's home. And the proud dad was showing me around. He, he showed me all the things he was building for his family, for his kids. He made little handmade toys, wow. handmade stuff. And being there, spending an hour and a half with these parents, right? You see how open and honest they are. They get to ask questions that you normally wouldn't think 
are appropriate for a doctor. Right. Or why wouldn't it be appropriate? If you ask me, is this bathtub appropriate for a young baby? I said, yeah, of course it is or it's not. Um, but being in someone's home, watching moms in their elements, I've learned so much. I've learned what kind of support system she has, what she might need, and, and there are questions that she might not want to ask you if you didn't have that relaxed, right, environment for, for sure, to yeah. feel comfortable. And, you know, to top it all, I went home with two dozen of eggs. So, yeah, there you <laughs> that's go. That's the best part. But that's what I love about I didn't know how much I love being in someone's home. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. And um, when I had met you at the Build Your Village event that Krista held, um, I just thought your approach was so amazing and unlike anything I've ever heard and exactly what new moms especially need. And to have someone come in because most of the information that we're getting for our children is based on our friends or our parents. And maybe they're not professionals or, you know, maybe it's not the best practice but to have someone come like you just said into your house and say like yeah this bathtub is okay it gives such a stress relief for the new mom and what you're doing is just so amazing yeah absolutely um so also before we kind of get into it I always like to ask my um guests what are three struggles you've overcome leading to where you are and three things you're most proud of in your life oh boy can I start with what I'm proud of yeah Uh, my I know this is probably a cliche, but I am really proud of my family and what we have built together. And my husband is my biggest supporter. Um, I know medicine well. That's what I've been training my whole life for, but I know nothing about the business aspect of medicine. Um, how to open a practice, like what do I do? Uh-huh. Like I, I'm never, I was never taught that, or no one ever encouraged me to explore that part of my brain, right? And and he, he served as a, a purpose, a voice of reason that says, listen, you, you're good at what you do, and it doesn't matter the other small components. It's just that if you give good care, people will find you. Right. People who will need and value your service, they will come. Mm-hmm. And I need that in my life because mm-hmm. there's so many fear factors. We as physicians, and I can say the majority of us, are risk averse. We're not taught to take risks in school. It's all right. about fact findings, about evidence-based data, statistical analysis, all of that. And everything else, we, we're really taught to say, leave that to the administrator, leave that to the hospital. We're the one with the business acumen, right? We know how to build something, to uh, put a price on it. But that's the trouble we got into today is that everything is so compartmentalized, Something everything is so separated that... Most of us as physicians, we don't know how things cause. We yeah. Know how, what patients have to go through to get the medication. Right. Right. We don't know that once you give them a script to go get a lab, an ultrasound image, that it will cost them thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. Yeah. So but when you ask these questions up front, um, when, you make it, when you make the time and to educate parents, you have to learn about these things yourself before you can tell them. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, so my husband, he is the person for me. That's that awesome. says, whatever you want to learn, you can do it. If you want to know, uh, you want to know about how much an MRI will cost, you go call him up and find out. Right. Right. And it's funny because I had called so many MRI center and they looked at me like I'm a crazy person. Like you're <laughs> the only doctor who ever call us and ask us how much something costs. Yeah. Um, but for me, I'm always asking the, the question, why? Like, why wouldn't I know? Why shouldn't I know? Yeah, and that's um, something so important, and I feel as though that's a lot of times what is the only thing holding people back is because they don't want to ask the questions or they don't 
think they can know the answer to them, but like your husband's telling you, like you can, you just have to just ask and do it. Right. And as I, I was saying on my other podcast, one of my friends had told me that if you ask and you don't get an answer, you're in the same spot that you were. So like, what's the harm in asking? There's no harm. Yeah. It's like, if you, if you don't know how much an MRI is and someone doesn't tell you, then you still don't know how much an MRI is. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But we, I I hope we can talk more about that, about the cost of medicine. For sure. Yeah. The cost of healthcare. And if you can pay direct out of pocket, things are like a cent on a dollar. Wow. I've gotten my husband an MRI for $300 the next day. Wow. Yeah, without going through the insurance. With insurance, you have to go through so many layers of prior authorization. They're asking for prior form, like, do you really need it? Mm -hmm. Even though the doctor says you need it, even though your therapist (laughs) says you need it, and yet they keep asking, you sure you need it? Mm -hmm. So much resources wasted, right? Yeah. Um, But yeah, so then the other question you asked me was, what... Am I? Well, what was the? Other the um, what are some struggles you've overcome to oh. lead to where you are now? Yes. If I can share with you, I'm a child of immigrant parents. Okay. And I've had you know struggle challenges throughout my whole life to get to where we are today. But I will say the most memorable struggle that I experienced would be being a mom, going through school and going through training. Wow. It's still today, I, I feel the guilt. And I know I shouldn't feel it. I know I shouldn't. My brain tells me I shouldn't, but the feelings are there. Right. My son is 16 going on 17. He doesn't remember half the things I didn't do or, or, or did with him. Right. And yet we carry that with us yeah. to this day. Um, going through school, I remember I was missing out on sometimes everyday events. Um, certainly school events. Right. I didn't go to his mom and son dance. I do remember that invitation. He came home and said, Mom, will you go with me? Oh. I'm like, I can't, baby. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll be in rotation, you know, mandatory requi- um, rotation. Um, and then, of course, many other social functions. And even when I could go or do something with him, you, I would feel bad about having to leave early. Right. That I didn't spend enough time. I didn't enroll him into as many classes as possible, <laughs> all these fancy activities and mm-hmm. sports. And at the end of the day, looking back, I can't change what happened, but going forward is what you do. Right. And every day I try to feel some of that guilt and say, oh, it's just part of motherhood and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So the struggle was just feeling that emotion, going through everything that I had to go through, trying to be the best student, intern, resident, and someone's doctor and still feel that, like I'm not good enough. Yeah. Um, But the biggest thing I will tell you, going through all that and then my son would get sick. Like any toddler, any young kid would get sick. And knowing medicine, it didn't help because then I would assume the, the worst. worst. <laughs> I, I yeah. think I just learned in a book. It's just a rare case. I, I learned from a grand round. I go home, whoa, is that what he's having? Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> it's like so my my aunt. Uh, she would always do that with to my, she'd say to my dad, like, oh, don't, aren't you ever worried about them getting like, you know, this, that or whatever disease? Yeah. My dad's like, I don't even know what that is. But mm-hmm. yeah, because you work in a hospital, you do. But yeah. he's yeah. like, no, I don't think about that. <laughs> right. And I remember him being sick and I, I, I said to, you know, my family, I need someone who isn't me to take care of my son. And mm-hmm. I would call his doctor's office and they would tell me, go to the urgent care. Um, they don't know who I am. His doctor 
knew who I was. Right. I couldn't talk to the doctor. I'm just talking to front staff. Right. And they said, well, if you're that worried, then go to the ER. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to the ER. No. Um, I just want someone to say that this fever, even though it was 104, is this deadly? Even though it really wasn't. Right. But as a mom, I should make know. that decision right. on my own child. Um, but over the course of training and, and residencies and all of that, and I thought, why, why am I being punished? For being a physician yeah like when I would ask for a two-hour block off just to go and take my son to his specialist appointment something that it took me months to get and they looked at me like I'm asking for special treatment now mind you there's this inherent understanding that doctors shouldn't be sick like if I'm sick if my friends my fellow colleagues the residents would get sick we would just crawl out of bed go to the hospital you know put mask on mm -hmm. and feel miserable we still work Right. But that's fine. But what do we do when our kids get sick? Yeah. And a few of us had kids, and we just suffer in silence. And if we say something, we get that side eye look. We got that dirty. You know, it's just like you're not being a good team player. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely also something that, like, before I had kids, because we were in our mid-30s when we had started having kids, and, you know, working, and you, you don't understand people who do have kids like oh you have to do this or you have to do that and then once you have kids you're like oh my gosh there's yeah. so much that you <laughs> don't so don't even the behind the scenes stuff that you have to switch schedules and figure stuff out and um it, like we're very lucky to have family so close that's like my kids right now are at their grandparents house and it's like I don't have any doubts they love going there it's nice that I'm able to do you know yeah. this um but a lot of people just don't have that and that's don't, and we need that support yeah and we need time off yeah to care for ourselves and really care for our kids yeah right um and then certainly right now i would just say the the system doesn't help us with that no i mean when do we most worry right when our kids are sick mm -hmm. we do assume the worst yeah it's so yeah because you're like you can't fix their pain for if, them if you can absorb those pain you you would do it yourself. yeah mm -hmm. um, yeah but, and when I finished training, I came out as an attending, life didn't get better. Yeah. I mean, the pay got better. Right. <laughs> it was very comfortable. Yeah. But the, the care didn't get better. And, but at least now I, I have that sort of professional courtesy that I can just call up my, a friend and say, hey, can you squeeze my kid in? Right. I mean, I know you already double book. Can you just, <laughs> and they will see my kid in between that 10 minute lunch break right. that they have. Yeah. Because we do that for each other. Right. right? But imagine as your mom and you don't have that luxury. Yeah. What do you do? You just getting, you know, you being diverted to urgent care to people that don't know you right. at all. So. And you missing work and you missing all sort of things just yeah. to go and sit somewhere urgent care or the ER, right? Yeah. Um, and that's really frustrating. And, and that, really led me to where I am today. Yeah, I was going to say, so, you turned the, that struggle into your whole business, right. which is amazing. No, because I started hearing the same thing from parents. Right. Like, I was going through that, mm -hmm. and how would I not understand that these are the parents, they're coming in, and they, honestly, they might be yelling at staff, which, again, you shouldn't be yelling at staff because they are overworked themselves. Right. But you can understand where they come from. Yeah. Like, they're upset. Like, why can't you see me? Like, I'm bringing my baby. It's a walk-in. And you know most practice. <laughs> practices don't take walk-in. Right. Because that would be chaotic. For, for sure, yeah. But how can you... And if you being on hold for so long and no one picks up the phone and you really try not to go to the ER and you bring your baby to the front desk and say, we're sick, can you see us? And they say, no, we can't. Yeah. Because it's all policy-driven and none of the doctors in the back have any clue what's going on at the front because we're going from we're running from room yeah. to room to room 
and then really if we put another patient in then we're going to give very uh, suboptimal care to the people that are already in the room people yeah. who show up on time but now they're being seen late because we're always behind <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's like it's just a constant struggle um, yeah what do i do how do i provide the best care and yet i'm always tired and exhausted and frustrated right that nothing i can do there's no autonomy mm-hmm. um but yeah so overall <laughs> i was like what do i do <laughs> yeah well i love it. yeah that's i mean that's the best way to um like you're not practicing what you're preaching but you're fixing what yeah. was your struggle which i love all right, so this is the Running Wine Mom. So we start off with some fitness stuff. And how do you, in your, all of your free time, <laughs> stay active? Um, for me, being active is, is really about being outdoor. Mm-hmm. I love nature and being outdoor. Um, and because of that, I like gardening a lot. Okay. Any free time I have, I'm outdoor. And I'm lucky to have a backyard with lots of sun. I grow all, like, all sorts of vegetables some of the exotic stuff yeah things like bitter melons i don't know if you ever had that i don't think i've ever had that it has great medicinal properties okay but it's also very bitter yeah i grow um spinach and water spinach and a bunch of other stuff that i don't know the names (laughs) (laughs) but i grow the fun stuff too like cucumber and salad Mm -hmm. and so that you know really is how i devote most of my free time um, I like swimming. I like taking walks with my husband and our little doggy. We go to the Tyler State Park when so the nice weather there. is nice. Yes, absolutely. And my, I would say my most regular form of exercise would be Qigong. Okay. Have you heard of no. Qigong? No. It's, it's similar to Tai Chi. Okay. But it moves a little faster. Oh. It's more meditative. Okay. It emphasizes on breathing. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way to improve circulation, oh. to move lymph fluid, and it helps with your respiratory, your immune system, right? Okay. It lowers blood pressure, chronic illnesses. Wow. So it helps a lot. It's an, a whole body approach, mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. And there are tons of these instructional videos on YouTube. Yeah, you that's can, what I was going to ask. Right, you can just Google Qigong. So it starts with a Q, Q-I-G-O-N-G. Right. Um, tai Chi, I think, is for more of the elderly population mm-hmm. where they have to do slower motion. Okay. Um, my family, we just celebrated my grandmother, uh, 103rd birthday this oh past month. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Luckily, we have very, we have a great history of longevity mm-hmm. um, from my mom's side. She's 103. Mm. She's as sharp as she's ever been. She doesn't take any medication. Whoa. Her hearing isn't too great, though. But interestingly, how I remember her as a young kid, in her 60s, she was sick a lot. She hmm. was frail. Mm-hmm. She was coughing up blood, and I didn't know what was going mm-hmm. on. She would go to so many different doctors. And, and growing up in Vietnam, there, there wasn't a lot of Western medications or medicine, right? Okay. So she would go to different homeopathic doctors. We try holistic approach. We try um, medicines that are more herbal-related. But she was just sick all the time. Mm-hmm. And then one day she found a group of women in the park locally who did Tai Chi. And she's like, I'm just going to give this a try. And ever since then, she religiously practices Tai Chi sometime two, three times a week. Wow. And she just got better and better and stronger. And now she's 103 and healthier than when she was 63. So interesting. And that's, um, so my grandma is, eight, she'll be 87 and she every morning walks yeah. and, and it's, similar to not the same thing but I just think movement people just 
don't understand the importance of simple, simple movement. You don't have to be going, running a marathon every day. Like, just move your body. Because look at that. Your grandma's 103. (laughs) That's all she does. And also, she eats healthy. Right. You can't just be going out eating red meat every day. Right. Yeah. It's a a balance between nutrition, mental health, and physical health. Mm -hmm. Um, And she does a really great job at it. And and she made me a firm believer in Tai Chi and Qigong and meditative exercise. I'm definitely going to look into that because I've never, like, practiced that. Like, I thought I've tried everything. I've I've tried Tai Chi, but... um, you know, I love to try everything. <laughs> I'd say that some people are really into the faster motion, like running. Mm-hmm. I'm not much of a runner. Yeah. Um, unless you have a TV in front of me, I, I get bored after a little while. Yeah. Maybe if I run in a, a nice scenic route, yeah. perhaps. But I like like focus, meditative. Form. Yeah, that's how I got into podcasts. Actually, I was training for a marathon, and I was like, I can't run this long without like I'm gonna get bored and I started listening to podcasts and that's right and that's like how I just it kind of was meditative for me because I'm not fast so I would just slowly <laughs> move okay. so that was my balance um what struggles do you think you have to stay um in in the f- balance of mind body I think really it's the routine mm-hmm. of things. Sometimes you can get bored of your routine. Mm-hmm. And I try to mix things up. Like I sometimes swim, sometimes I walk, sometimes I do other sort of outdoor activities. Mm-hmm. Um, it You just have to do what you love. Yeah. Like don't follow trends. Mm-hmm. That can fall off quickly. Right. right. Like if you see someone does an activity and you just want to get into it, um, you have to believe in something. Mm-hmm. And I believe in Qigong, so I do that on a daily basis. Even if it's like for five minutes. Right. Even if it's between patients. Mm-hmm. And it's just breathing techniques. It's just some, you know, arms and legs motion that I right. do. Um, so it's, I mean, the biggest struggle is really time. And sometimes my husband and I, we cheat. We're like, ugh, today's not the day. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. It's like, I always practice the 80-20 rule. It's like 80% of the time you stick to what you got to do. And then that 20%, it's okay. Yeah. Have you heard of the the five-second rule by Mel Robbins? Yes, by Mel Robbins. Yes. <laughs> sometimes, let's say I have skipped doing something that I really think is important for me to do. And by the second day, I go, nope, today is a five-second rule. Yeah. If I wake up and I say, I have to do something, I'm going to count down five to one, and I'm just going to launch off and go do it. <laughs> I'm not going to sit there and rationalize and, and make excuses and say, oh, five more seconds. Let me check one more email. Let me answer this text. No. Yeah. Everything will have to wait until I just get up and do it. And then you feel so much better after. Yeah. It's like you talk yourself out of it and you're like, oh, this isn't going to work. I have this. And it's like you spend more time talking yourself out of it instead of True. just doing five seconds, five, right. four, three, two, one, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> you, sometimes you can be your worst enemy. Yes, that's <laughs> so true. Um, and then last part of fitness, um, can you talk about the relationship uh, between mental health and physical fitness? Mental health, physical fitness, and nutrition. I think all those three things have to go together. They're intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, cardiovascular health and exercises are important. You've got to get your heart rate to a certain level, mm-hmm. right? But I think there are other form of exercises that are as equally important, um, just like Qigong and Tai Chi. And mental health. I mean, everything ties eventually back down to mental health, mm-hmm. right? If you don't have a healthy lifestyle, it does affect your mental health. For sure. And and you have to think of it like it's not because you need to exercise. It has to be your way of life. 
Right. And, and, and if you believe that and you buy into that, then everything you do isn't a chore. Mm-hmm. It just, that's who you are. Yeah. And that's just how you choose to carry your day from this hour to that hour. That you're just going to go take some deep breathing technique. You're going to go walk the dog because that's your family activity. Mm-hmm. Right. And mental health has gotten a lot more attention recently and it's been tied to gut health, gut immunity, which is something that I talk a lot um, with to my parents and my family and my members in the practice. I said food, what you eat, right? Whole food, food that you see can come up from the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Things that you grow, um, less processed food, especially processed meat. Right. Um, it starts early. So, I mean, this is, we're not gonna talk about nutrition, but nutrition in childhood is much more difficult to talk about than an, an adult. Yeah. An adult, when you're ready, you will make the decision to be better and be healthy, right? For a kid, <laughs> you have to convince them. Yeah. You know? yes. And that's tough. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and I tell parents, do everything in moderation. Don't be a fanatic because you're gonna fall off that wagon pretty quickly. Right. Just do a little bit of everything per day and see how you feel, Mm -hmm. and then you're gonna maybe challenge yourself to a little bit more, like an extra five minutes of something. Mm -hmm. So all those three things, they have to be together. Yeah, so true. And it's very much, people I think focus a lot on one, but not all of them, and it's like, you gotta balance it all out. All right, so now for the main event, we are gonna get into your, your career and your practice and can let's start off with what inspired you to become a pediatrician and what do you think is most rewarding about your work my son <laughs> he's it he's the inspiration of why i became a pediatrician i was actually very surprised when i found my high school yearbook um and when you know they interview you for that page where what you're going to be when you grow up and they ask what will you be i said i would like to be a pediatrician and i forgot all about that wow and it it took me 25 years to find that quote and i'm like oh i didn't know i that actually came to my mind i knew i wanted to be in medicine but i didn't know anything about pediatric versus internal versus geriatrics right but what's really cemented the the love for pediatrics is having my son when i was in medical school Oh my gosh. It was just like a moth to flame, right? Everything that was peds related, I'm just like, I need to know more. I love developmental parts. I love mm-hmm. disease path of uh, physiology. Everything that's kids related. Because yeah. you go home and you start to compare everything. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Right? And then when I would be on the floor um, and I made my son was home, I couldn't be with him. So I start playing with kids. They make me feel better. Mm-hmm. And I learn about what makes them happy, what makes them laugh. And how come this four-month-old has these developmental skills and that one doesn't, right? And at every stage, every child I see or I observe and I care for, I see my son in it. Mm. And so how would I not, How could I not become a pediatrician? Right. It was just a matter of when, right? Yeah. And what's the joy in being a pediatrician? Everything. <laughs> Have you met any pediatrician that just hate their job? They might hate the environment they're in, but they don't hate what they do. Right, yeah. Um, watching kids grow. I mean, kids are the most honest and trusting people in the world. So true, yeah. I mean, they. I hear, I sit here waiting for my member, my patient to show up, and I hear these little running footsteps, and I hear them screaming in the hallway, Dr. Quinn, we're here! <laughs> oh. like, I know, I can hear you. <laughs> but they're excited to see you. Yeah. I mean, adults can be happy to see you, but they're never as excited. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it is. It's so, I mean, you... For, 
it's everybody says it you know when you have kids watching them the joy through their eyes is something you can just the experience and it's so true like seeing the littlest thing bringing (laughs) my kids this like immense joy it's like Mm -hmm. I never looked at a pen and thought it was so cool (laughs) (laughs) right or like I would have you know uh, parents sitting here and, and trying to get the kids not to eat my table paper, the <laughs> yeah. crunchy paper. Yeah. And I said, listen, that's the toy. Yeah. So for Christmas, you don't have to buy much. Nope. <laughs> get a Tupperware, get a plastic cup. Oh and that's my all gosh. you need. Yeah, you really don't. The toy industry, it's like, so you're oh like, I got you all of these cool toys that are supposed to be de- developmentally appropriate and, and colorful. And it's like, and you just went and got a spoon. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, that's the gimmick too, is developmental appropriate. Right. But what do kids really need? They need yeah. the interaction mm-hmm. from you. And what I find more helpful is that they can use something as simple as a piece of paper and turn that into a, a different toy right. by the imagination. Yeah. And that is way better for their developmental skill yeah. than a toy that's already preset. That's true, yeah. And that's... so I tell parents, just let them be creative. Let them yeah. be the, uh, what do you call it, like an engineer. Right. Make things. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, it's so true. And it's like, let them be bored. Cause like in our, I feel like society, it's like, we have yes. to give them, give them, give them. And that's something that we really try to instill is like, you don't have to be, enter- like go find something to entertain yourself, even though they're very little, but like they, Willow, my daughter, always finds something. She makes the coolest thing. Like, we have those magnet tiles, and she always, like, brings herself back to those. And, yeah. like, she'll create houses and garages for, like, her little people or cribs. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, how did you, like, <laughs> even make that association? I love that. That's great. Um, and, and part of that, too, is when I play with kids, that's part of me screening them for their skill. Right. I don't have to ask the parents, can she do this? Right. I just watch her performing that in front right. of me. Yeah. And it's great. And I have, what's funny, a, a recent, recently a mom said, I'm worried that my nine-month-old is not doing the pencil grasp. Like the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said, really? So then I just grab something new, something shiny, and I just hold it out, and then she would just pick it up perfectly, correctly. Right. And the reason why that happens at home kids are so familiar with the environment mm-hmm. when you serve them food they know what to do they just grab because it's quicker right yeah but when something's new something is unfamiliar and when you offer it to them they like gingerly trying to be precise yeah and that's the trick oh, right there so there's just so many little things that that as a physician you get to do and, and see that most parents just kind of gloss over because right you're like what else can you do yeah <laughs> yeah you have to watch them in their elements like yeah no one's watching yeah and they show you i love that um, so what are some common challenges you encounter when working with children and their families with, um, especially probably the comparison, like you were yeah. just saying of like where, right. But honestly, if you say struggle, not just me, but I can confidently say that most, if not all pediatrician will say time, time. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we get, we have get together and we hang out and we talk about what else you want to bet about, about your job, your career. Yeah. It's all like, why don't we have more time? Yeah. And I'm very fortunate now that I don't have that issue. Right. But to this day, I still remember the trauma. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it lasts with you. It just stays with you forever. Remember the workflow and you go home and like, I don't know what I did. Right. I don't know what difference You're just made. like on like a... Like, like auto drive. Yeah, auto, yeah, autopilot. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, autopilot. But so, Tom, and I wish I had that for every family, mm-hmm. every doctor-patient relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So could you share some tips for new parents on creating a healthy and safe environment for their children at home? 
So that's a that's a great question, <laughs> an interesting question. So when I so for me, I have the luxury of visiting people's home, right? And I I tell parents they have a lot of question, and is it safe? Is it not? And they they're very specific. Mm-hmm. So there's no global answer. One fits all. Um, but I would say make sure you make a list of things that so that you don't forget. Right. Because okay. you know how when you get to a, a doctor's office. Um, Things are being so rushed. Yeah. And then they're talking about something else and you get so engrossed in that. And you're like, oh, I forgot my like, question. I forgot, yeah. So everything has to be written down. Yeah. And it's also helpful that when you go into the office and you already have that paper ready and open. So when the physician comes in, they know, oh, these are the concerns. So I shouldn't waste time on things that are not necessary. Yeah. Right? Um, but I-, I will say for safety and home environment, you know, for new moms, new babies, expecting parents, I said, can we somehow talk about support first? Mm-hmm. If I just, if I just know that you have all the support you need as a new mom, I'm good. Nine percent of the work in childhood is done. Yeah, the medical part is easy. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a rash, just text me. I figure it out, <laughs> right? Yeah. The, the feeding guidance, the breastfeeding help, all of that, just part of. Everyday job. It's almost like the bread and butter of pediatrics. Right. Nothing new. But the challenge is how do I get the parent to understand that it's okay to ask for help? Like, how do you ask for help when there aren't a lot of people around you? Yeah. And then there's a spousal support. And if I see a doting, supportive father, I'm like, oh, half my battle is <laughs> yeah. done. Right. Um, and I, I love that. I love when, when, when dad understands the challenges that sometimes mom just needs to take a little break from the baby. Yeah. And we have to talk about, you know, postpartum health, postpartum depressions, and it's a lot of work. It's, it's not so as glorious as social media <laughs> no. makes it out to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, like, um, well, my husband, is, I'm so lucky. He was so amazing with, um, like, postpartum, and he just knew the things to, like, insert himself to do, where it's like, I would be like, you know trying to feed the baby and do this and that and like he would just do something like small like clean up a certain room or vacuum and it's like that was like the bottom of my list but the fact that it's done is so helpful because it makes like I can focus on these other things and that's what he was always really good at figuring out what can I do to so she can just focus on like feeding changing you know working on whatever and he can do everything else and that was like just such a great balance for us. And maybe keep the older child occupied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he would. He would a lot. And that's something that I do appreciate for him. Like, anytime he runs out to the store, he's like, which one do you want me to bring with, with me? me? Or do you want me, you know, like, yes. do you want me to bring that both them both? Like, he's, that's and true. I don't even think to do that sometimes. Because a lot of times I'm like, I just want to get out. <laughs> like, you know. But he always asks, like, yeah. okay, I'll bring Willow or I'll, okay, I'll bring Parker to, you know, wherever. And I, it's something so appreciative that I feel like a lot of people like myself, sometimes don't even think about too. Right. Yeah, and you know, especially new parents, and you have experience after the first child, right? You're like a pro right now. <laughs> <laughs> sure, if that's what it is. <laughs> right. But for new parents, everything is so new, and they yeah. don't know what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And I said, all of those questions will be answered right. anytime you like me to. But for now, can I just get you guys to understand three most important things that you need to have in your home: sleep, food. Right. And, and self-care. Yeah. Just take care of those three things. Babies don't need much. They just need milk, mm-hmm. however you can give it, mm-hmm. breast, formula. Um, they need diapers. 
I didn't need wipes. Mm -hmm. That's all. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about going out and buying special thermometer, buying special bathtub, buying special this and that. Mm -hmm. Half those things you don't even use. Yeah. Because I, I tell you, most of my parents now, they tell me we when we bathe the baby, we just take the baby in the shower. Oh, us. that's what I started doing with Willow. <laughs> oh, and yeah. I'm like, why did no one say this? This is so much easier to do. Yeah. Just bring her in the shower with me. Like, this that's is... It. Yeah. So easy. Yeah. Uh, the bathtub, you're like trying to fill it up and they're like squirming around. You're like, and it's like, it's great for Instagram pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else it's good for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We start, and I started telling some of my friends, they're like, wait, you bring her in the shower with you? Yeah. I'm like, yes. Why has no one done this? This is not like life, this is life changing for me, but like, oh, someone should have thought about this before. <laughs> I know I'm not the first one, but why didn't anyone tell me about it? Right. No, but I tell parents, you just gotta do what's quick. Yeah. And convenient. Yeah. Because there are other things you have to worry about, like sleep. Yeah. Like you need to get some rest. Right. Because that baby's going to wake up in about an hour. Yeah. The sleep thing was also something that I was just not prepared for. <laughs> for with my first, we had no plan for it. We just thought, like, we're going to, like, sleep when the baby sleeps, like everyone tells you to do. And, like, yeah, to an extent. Yeah. But what if the baby's only sleeping in, like, 45-minute increments? Then it's like, okay, how are you getting? And with Parker, we decided like we would do four hour chunks so like at like 10 p.m i would go to sleep from 10 p.m till 2 a.m and mark would be fully in charge Perfect. and then i would get up from two at two and he would sleep solid from two to six and then it's like you get a little bit of sleep in between those four t hours but at least you got four straight hours yeah. of sleep at some point yeah. because <laughs> yeah so for some people sleep is such an important factor yeah right? for them just to feel human mm -hmm. um and to not get chronic headache and i suffer with that a lot when my son was little as an infant and like you said we wake up like every hour to feed yeah and i would get like raging headaches because mm. my brain wasn't used to like wake up and go to sleep wake up i would fall asleep easily but it's just hard yeah that you have to wake up um but i tell parents yeah you just figure out a, a schedule right you know you take half shift and the other the next shift is the spouse yeah and you do what you have to do with that um so in your experience what are some of the most prevalent childhood illnesses or conditions and how do you typically manage that <laughs> funny question <laughs> yeah. to me because everything is prevalent yeah basically all the things that i see every day so it, that's very seasonally dependent mm -hmm. right so right now we're in the summer what am i seeing a lot rashes mm -hmm. injuries scratches and scrapes lime tick question mm. a lot like every other day um you know i always tell parents there are these resources that you can use there are um, university that will help you identify the tick. Okay. I'm, I like to think that I'm pretty good with IDing the tick, right? Um, most often around here, we get a lot of deer ticks, but right. we also have a lot of dog ticks, okay. uh, wood ticks. So they often can be very sort of um, mistaking for each other mm -hmm. and parents get worried. I always say, don't freak out. First, look at the tick. Uh, let's figure out what it is. And then if it's a deer tick and if it's engorged, um, I'm a very, I have very low threshold for treating uh, prophylactically. Okay. But it's a very individual case, and I talk through, um, I talk with the parent through the whole process, and what do we do, what do we need to, and when do we test. Prophylaxis is more important to me than the treatment, because prevention is more important. Right. And the harm of doing one dose, one pill, one time, is much outweigh the risk of having Lyme. Yeah. And if you wait to test the tick, itself it's, it takes i don't know weeks <clears throat> yeah. to get back if you want to test the child you're traumatizing the kid mm -hmm. and the test is not reliable for sometimes six to eight weeks oh wow yeah and systemic lyme i don't mess with 
Okay. Yeah. Um, but that's a conversation, and this is more of an educational purpose, but talk to your pediatrician saying, this is a deer tick, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, yeah. whatever it is, or help me figure it out. And then, and it, is it engorged or was it not? Has it been feeding? Right. And most of the time, we don't know how long a tick has been there. Yeah. If you find a deer tick that's just been crawling, you're perfectly fine. Right. That thing hasn't fed, mm-hmm. right? If it's been, if you see it's engorged, you're like, maybe it's been six hours. If it's engorged, I'm like, mm, I err on the side of him been feeding. Right. right? So that I get so many questions of, and that's why I just want to share it right now because people are no, that's so helpful. Tons of tips. Mm-hmm. Um, in the summer, uh, oh, concussion, sunburn. Yeah, sunburn. <laughs> I mean, we we tend to ask pediatrician like, what type of sunscreen? What's the SPF? To me, as long as it's thirty, mm-hmm. I want it to be fifty. Yeah, just the you know fifty is the ideal number for me. What matters is that you reapply every hour. Okay. Every two is the routine instruction, but I really for kids is if I tell you every hour, you probably do it every two. Yeah, that's true. If I tell you every two, you do it every four. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what matters is the reapplication. Mm-hmm. It's not the fancy one thousand SPF you put on once. Right. That lasts you for an hour and a half. If they go into the pool, it's gone. Okay. So yeah, that's um, good to know. So sunburn is important. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then in the in the fall, I mean everything fall viruses. Mm-hmm. Once school starts or restarts, right? We're talking about uh, sore throat, mm-hmm. strep throat. Oh, strep throat has been really bad this year. Yeah. RSV in the fall, mm-hmm. flu. Um, there's so much, there's right? So much There's just stuff. everything that we see. And oh, and a lot of UTI related symptoms. Okay. And not all UTI sounding symptoms that are uti hmm. especially in school age kids especially if you are a girl right i, mean, I know parents go to is always thinking it's a uti because they're complaining right it hurts it burns but most girls have irritation down in the sensitive area because we don't pee the way boys do right? okay yeah um when we when we boy things trickle yeah and they they stick to your skin and urine is very caustic Hmm. And it causes skin breakdown. And then yeast infection can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tell kids who have recurrent issue like that, who, who isn't a UTI, right? Because we want to rule it out. For right. Us. And I would say 9 out of 10 is not a UTI. Mm. Because lab and urine dipstick always been fine. But these kids always complain, especially in the summer when yeah, they wear their when, bathing suit, mm-hmm. when it's not constantly wet. It's okay to wear a bathing suit. But once you out the water... Just take, take it, it off. off. You can sit and play and eat, but take off the wetsuit. Yeah. Um, one other big tip I want to say is, if possible, have your girls sit backward on the toilet to pee. Hmm. Because you are forced to spread your legs. Wow. You can't close your legs when you sit backward. Yeah. And so the urine stream is likely to shoot out versus just trickling down your skin. Hmm. Well, in our potty training journey, we will try that with Willa. <laughs> and some kids will never have, you know, vaginitis yeah. or irritation down there. But there are a lot of girls who do. That's good. That's a really good, I've never heard of that. But that makes so much sense for them. Yeah. Um, so how important, to kind of switch tracks, yeah. um, how important is early childhood development and what role can parents play in supporting their children's cognitive, emotional, and physical growth? Developmental milestones are so important. Mm-hmm. That is why we have the well-child visit schedule 
the way it is now. Mm-hmm. It's so frequent in the beginning of life. Mm-hmm. Like from birth to 12, you're seeing your doctor like every two weeks and every month and then every two months. And because there's a lot of things that we have to see that the child is able to do. It's all about early um, screening and early prevention. Mm-hmm. There's no <clears throat> such thing as... Uh, wait and watch anymore yeah there's no such thing it's like so interesting because I feel like some parents like they don't want to admit like they don't want to see that their child has like a little bit of like milestones and milestone like um lack of milestone yeah and it's like why not just like get them the help that they need and then if it's if it fixes itself quickly it does if not like you've got an early intervention which is important that makes sense what you Mm -hmm. said but I, I think of it from the mom's perspective is that you coming into the office, you, you meet this provider who might not be your normal doctor, right. who you don't know, you don't trust, you don't know anything about them. And then, and then based on a couple of sheets that you filled out, a form you filled out, and they come in and say, oh, hey, your kid is having a speech problem, having delayed this and that. Okay, and yeah. And they haven't really spent time mm-hmm. with you to really know, it, it just, was it a one-time thing? Or right. did the parents understand the question? But from a mom perspective, right, my, my go-to place in my head is always rationalizing. Right. Wait, wait, are you sure? Like, But she does that also. Does that even mean anything? Mm-hmm. But if you're not willing to meet me where I'm at and ask me a question, follow-up question, and let me explain myself, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to trust what you're saying. And right. I'm just going to buy a little time to see what this is really going. Right. right. Or maybe I'll wait until another person say it's a concerning um, symptom or right. delay, then I'll do something about it. I always try to think what they're not saying to me. Mm-hmm. It's not about what they're willing to say, it's what they're thinking. That's, yeah, that's such a great perspective. I totally agree with that. Um, and, yeah. And the other thing too is is how you, uh, how you've put it, right? That the diagnosis or your concern, you can't say this baby is having a condition or a problem. Right. It's about, hey, this is where I expect, um, most typical, like 80% of kids would be able to do at this point. Do you find that she does it on her mm-hmm. own? Or maybe she does it at time that we might not be observing. Mm-hmm. Could you do me a favor and go home and challenge her with these activities and then text me, you know, in three days, in five days, in one week? I don't care. Just let me know. Yeah. Even if it's a, a portal text or something. Right. So then that I know that we are watching your baby together. Mm-hmm. And if you say that, the parents will do it. Yeah. I don't know any parents who say no to that. Yeah. Right? No, we're not going to try. Right, but but they they're not likely to listen if you said here's a piece of paper and referral. Yeah, go make more appointments, and you know how hard it is to make an appointment with anywhere. Yeah, I hate making appointments. Yeah, (laughs) I hate being on the phone. (laughs) I know, I I really do. I'm like, why can't there just be like a universal thing where it's like, here, make every year my uh, dentist, uh, you know, physical, all that. But at least they're they're well appointments. Yeah, 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 yeah. But a sick appointment. appointment, Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. So I, I tell parents, you know, it's, that's why it's important to have a relationship with your physicians, yeah, so whoever true. that you trust, so that you can bring up little minor concern, even though you might not think that is worth any attention. Right. But to us, it matters. Yeah. Because all these little, we call yellow flags, they're not red flags, right. they're little mini orange yellow flags, but then in accumulation, it means something to me. Yeah. I can have a conversation early by saying, hey, we're going to keep an eye on this, but I'm only going to do it for like the next month. Right. But I don't want to have to have this conversation only at your well visit. Yeah. Because it just seems... It just Impersonal seems, yeah. and yeah. Exactly. It's just like, yeah, you're right. Because it's like you see them for 10, 15 minutes and you're like, right. yeah, 
here's your diagnosis of your child that you see Based for the other the five 23 hours and 45 minutes of the day, every day yeah. of the week, you know? It's, yeah. yeah, that's so true. What do you want every new expectant parent to know and what should they, what they should want to know and the questions they should ask their pediatrician? For new parents, oh boy, <laughs> of all the things that new expecting parents want to know, it's a lot, right? Yeah. You want to know, you want the best of the best. Uh, from from milk to toys to clothing to finding a pediatrician. From from a physician's perspective, I would say, please, no matter where you decide to go, have a conversation face to face with the doctor that you want to be with, mm-hmm. because this is a long term relationship. Um, have a conversation and talk about your values. Like, mm-hmm. is this a person that will, that have similar values to you? By that, I mean, are they going to meet you where you at? Mm-hmm. How are they going to respond to your concerns being a new parent? Um, how accessible they are? Mm-hmm. Like, what do they do when you call them at 10 o'clock at night? Like, who do you talk to when that yeah. happens? And what is the protocol for when you said, my baby, I'm concerned. Can I bring him in today or tomorrow? What is their policy for that? Or is it more like you have to give us, you know, three days in advance of notification? I know, yeah. Kids don't get sick like that. They get sick in the most inconvenient time. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. On the weekend. On the weekend, yeah. Three o'clock in the morning yeah. is when they spike a fever. Yeah. And, and so don't... You, when we, you have to have a mind shift. You have to think of your pediatrician as your partner in, in every true meaning. Part of your village, yeah. Like if you're going to buy a car, anything that you use in your home, you do so much research. You go on Amazon and Yelp and you read 10 million reviews before yeah. you pull the plug, right? Mm-hmm. But yet, pediatrician, you're like, oh, well, they take my insurance, they're just going to go with yeah. it because I hear other people have a pleasant experience. I the pleasant experience for other people might not be the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. And only you will know that by having a conversation in front of yeah. you and said, this is who we are. This is what we like to try for our kids. Um, this is how we like to raise and care for. Uh, what do you think? Right. And if they don't have the time or even have a conversation with you about it, then I don't know. Yeah. It may not be the right fit for your family. Right. No, that is so. And it is. It's like you think of all these other things for, you know, you're researching the best swing and you're researching the best monitor. And it's like a lot of times people just don't really, they just pick a pediatrician based on their insurance, you know, uh, which is hard. It's hard because why did we get to this place where the insurance gets mm-hmm. to dictate everything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so true. All right. I think that's going to be a great place for us to stop for part one of this two-part podcast. Today, we talked about so many amazing topics such as fitness and parenting to exploring Dr. Quinn's inspiring journey to become a pediatrician. Dr. Quinn's insight into balancing the demands of motherhood while maintaining a healthy and active lifestyle offer a wealth of inspiration to all the running wine moms out there. Her dedication to her role as a pediatrician combined with her personal experience brings a unique perspective that we can all learn from. As we look forward to next week, get ready for part two of our discussion. We'll be diving deeper into Dr. Quinn's innovative practice, Zoomies Pediatrics, and exploring the intricacies of pediatric care. If you've enjoyed our conversation today, you won't want to miss the next episode where we uncover even more valuable insight from Dr. Quinn. You can follow Dr. Quinn on Instagram at zoomies underscore pediatrics. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with friends. And as always, you can follow me on Instagram at the running wine mom underscore for everything fitness and motherhood related, all with a side of wine. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, you are strong, you are capable, and you are all amazing. Until next time, keep running, keep sipping, and keep embracing the joy of motherhood. Cheers, and I will be back next Tuesday.